If I could ask the guys in the room especially to exercise great examples in leadership and go ahead and be seated and give precedence to God's Word, show honor to God's Word by how we come quickly back. Thank you, Jerry. Well, I'm excited about a, a couple things. I wanted to update you on something really quickly. There is a church plant that, as you know, we are partnering together word with. It is uh, a church plant to Tokyo, Japan. This past week, last week, Seda Sakaguchi, Emma, his wife, and their four children all departed for Tokyo. And they are there now, and they send their greetings to you as a church. And they have... I guess already now experienced, they're ahead of us, right? I can't, I can't figure out how that works. Um, they have already experienced their first Sunday there, and they wanted to say thank you to those of you who are supporting and partnering together in prayer. Um, we count it a privilege to be able to partner together in the gospel going forth to people who have never heard the gospel before. And we're excited about how we get the partner there. Um, I also have an update for you on uh, the potential church plant in Colombia. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware or not to what degree, whether you've been uh, here over the last year or so, but we are going to be helping partner together and sponsor a church plant in Columbia, South Carolina as well, up in the northeast of Columbia, and that uh, now has final approval from Braden Greer, who was here with us, I guess in September, was when he was here with us and he preached a message. He is going to be planting, relocating by September 1st, no latest, uh, no later into Columbia and to start to plant the church there. We're excited about that because it's going to be a like-minded fellow church that's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and what better privilege could we have than to be able to partner together, not only the gospel internationally, but the gospel kind of locally in, in Greenville as well. So we're excited about that as a church. Hopefully in April, I believe May, April 6th, we'll get to have uh, Braden come and speak with us. And um, we're looking forward to hearing about how we can partner together in a church plant there in Columbia. Now, um, if you are interested as well, we'd love to hear that. We'd love to have any questions. But I know that Columbia is not the most desirable place. I've heard that it's a little warm, but um, we are excited about the, the gospel and like-minded churches being planted all across the southeast. So we're excited about both those things. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to Renew. Um, you're going to email this week with more details about Renew. You can cheer. That's great. We're excited about it. It's only three months away, actually just shy of three months away. And uh, what a great time this is. If you, if you did not get to go to Renew last year, I want to strongly encourage you to come. Um, we're, we're, we're wanting everybody who attends this church to come and be a part of Renew. We think it's that significant. And if you don't have the funds to sign up when we come next week, please do that anyway. And we would love to provide those funds for you. And there are people in the church who would love to help provide those funds for you. And don't let yourself use the excuse of, well, you know, we kind of have it, but we kind of don't. Things are tight, and you know, maybe other people need it more. 
Listen, we, we don't want you thinking that way. If you are concerned about going, you can't afford to go financially, we want you to sign up. We want to help you get there. It's going to be a great time together. We just confirmed this past week that uh, Dr. Bruce Ware, he is a professor of, of systematic theology at Southern Seminary in Louisville. He'll be with us for all four sessions now, so we're excited about that. And so he's going to be teaching on God's goodness, God's greatness, God's glory, and God's grace. So we're excited about that. Um, this morning... We have a little bit different format. I realized in Hebrews, we got to hear the entire letter of Hebrews as it was spoken when Ryan Ferguson was here with us like a year and a half ago or so. We began Ephesians, I guess, eight months ago. I can't believe it's already been eight months. And we've been in the letter of Ephesians without taking, you know, taking little breaks here and there. I think it was 26 weeks of actually preaching through Ephesians It's been a rich time, but I don't think we've heard this together as a church, and I want to make sure that we get a chance to do that, especially with shorter letters. We get a chance to hear the book of Ephesians or the letter to the Ephesians as it was actually delivered to the first audiences. So this morning, I'm going to do something a little odd to begin with. I'm going to ask you to to not look in your Bibles because I want you to hear it and listen to it and experience it as it first would have been heard by all of those hearers. And then I'm going to have you open our Bibles where I'll walk through it very briefly and just give some highlights of the book of Ephesians as we close. So let us pray. I love that song. I don't know if Matt has it up here or not. That as we gather, come and worship. What is that song, Matt? I want to make this our prayer this morning. So would you pray together with me? And it's okay to, to pray a worship song. Um, these are words to God that we intend for God to answer. So let's pray together. Father, as we gather, come and teach us. Spirit, come and speak today. God, we know that you delight to lead and guide us. And we know that it's your word that lights the way. Let your truth sink deep within us, God. God, we need that. Lord, let the foolish learn your ways. God, we are so often prone to wander as we hear. May we be changed. We need to see you, God. All of us in this room, we need to hear you. All of us, Lord, We want to know you, word of life. We need to see you. We need to hear you. So God, our prayer is come awaken our hearts. That's something only you can do, God. Only you can awaken our hearts. So come, Lord. Awaken our dry and sleepy, weary hearts. God, illumine our minds, our darkened minds, Lord. Our minds that are foggy, that are dull, and magnify Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would come renew our faith. Lord, we are desperate. We need you to renew our faith, Lord. So many of us are, are lacking faith and joy in you, Lord. We ask that you would do that good work that you desire to do in us. And that, Lord, we would submit to you. God, change our lives with your word of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Matt. So let's begin 
With Ephesians 1, unlike Ryan, I've not memorized the entire thing. I'll be looking down from time to time, but we're going to read through all of Ephesians. As we're hearing this, I want you to put yourself in the original hearer's place, or try to. Try to go back that distance, 2,000, almost 2,000 years ago to about 80, 60, and hearing this letter from a dear brother who has planted many churches in the region, who has perhaps planted this church. And you know he's in prison, and he's writing some words as an aged saint. He's writing, writing some words of instruction because he's preparing us for the difficulties, the trials, the temptations that we might face. Here this is not just a, a distant letter from some distant person, but as a letter from a dear friend, a personal letter written to each one of us personally because that's what God's word is. God's word is a personal letter, not just written to the people who originally received it, but it's written to all of us. And God intends to write his words in our hearts. So hear these words as if God is speaking to you himself through his word because he promises to do that. He says his word is living and active and and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's powerful. It's able to pierce to the vision of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. So let his word sink into you. So don't get distracted. Don't be texting. Turn off your phones now if you can. That way we don't have weird sounds happening. Let's give attention to God's holy and errant inspired word. Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at this right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in what you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope. And you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came And preached peace to you who once were far off. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. 
but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness with confidence, with access, with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief steal no longer. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of the, the redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and anger and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality in all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper! Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanksgiving always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. 
knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains." that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you may know how I'm doing and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, he'll tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. This is God's holy, inerrant, inspired word. When you read a letter of the Bible like this, from start to finish, a few things happen. I hope a few things happened. I hope you heard it differently than you would if you were just reading five verses for your daily devotional times or if you're hearing a a few verses to be focused on in a normal sermon like we typically do here on a Sunday morning. When you hear a letter like this, you get a bigger picture of what the letter is all about. Different things stand out to you as the Holy Spirit makes his word alive to you. And I trust that as his word was being spoken, he was making his words alive to you because the word is living. Having it read puts you back in the place the original hearers were in and hearing God's word it's like hearing God speaking to you through the Apostle Paul it's a close personal appeal to the church you see this is a personal letter meant to have an effect and meant for us to respond to the appeal that the Apostle is making through God to us today is obviously the final Sunday in our sermon on series on Ephesians as we've done so, we try to focus on each individual text in, in, the, in the book. Seeing it more closely like it's under a microscope so you can discover the riches within. And looking at things that, that way, it enables us to, 
to see God's word more clearly, to chew on it, to digest it in small pieces, to consume it. But the goal is for it to become a part of us. To apply it. After all, if we're eating God's word, it's said that you are what you eat, right? But today, we just looked at Ephesians through a broader lens and I want to capture the, the bigger picture of this letter. As the Apostle Paul wrote to these churches that he helped start or sent others to help start, he knew that they would and already were encountering times of darkness and suffering and trial and difficulty. He knew that they would need to be strengthened to be able to live out this Christian life. He knew that one of their greatest needs was to know who they were. You see, this letter is really all about identity. This letter is all about identity. Who, who they are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. And the question that we should be asking ourselves is, where is our identity is it grounded in the rich truths that Ephesians give to us? And if it's not, take heart. Go back and reread through the first three chapters of Ephesians because they're all about who we are, united in Christ. The fact that he has now made us one, God has made us one in Christ. God has done something we could not do. He has made us united in Christ Jesus. He's made us a radical new humanity in Christ. And that is the basis really for the all of living out the Christian life. And that's what the first three verses, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about. All about Paul wanting the church, God wanting the church, God wanting us to hear who we are in Christ and to be so undone, to be so filled with joy, to be so aware of our identity in Jesus that we're inspired to go and share his unity with others. We're inspired to go and live out a life of love. We're inspired to go and preach the gospel of peace. We're inspired to place our faith and our trust in him, knowing that whatever we encounter, he will sustain us. It's been said that Ephesians is one of the greatest letters in the New Testament, so packed with rich truths for the Christian life. But these are truths that are not meant to be separate that we just hear and don't respond to. As, as we close out this letter to the Ephesians, it's my prayer, my hope, that we don't forget it. It's my hope that we don't forget who we are in Christ Jesus, that he has made us one, that God has made us one in Jesus. He's made us a radical new humanity and that that would be the fuel that inspires us to go and live for him in obedience. Not out of duty, but delighting in who we are in him. That's, that, that was my prayer at the beginning before we started this series. You know, looking back a couple years, I wanted the church to learn about who Jesus is in Ephesians and, and Hebrews and to place our faith in him. And in Ephesians, I wanted us to see what our identity is in Christ Jesus and then how do we live and grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and then next week, we're gonna be starting the book of Acts where we, where we begin to learn what does it look like not just to be disciples of Jesus, to grow as disciples, but to, to go and make disciples. But let's not leave our identity in Christ behind because it's from that that our entire mission, that everything we're about as a church flows. 
The world will assault and demean and undermine and mock you just like they did the Ephesians. You will be tempted to forget who you are and you need to be grounded in your identity in Christ. So the Apostle Paul wrote to them and as we just read through this, I hope you picked up on a few things. Really reconciliation with God, unity in Christ, the, the central message that Paul's getting across in his letter. When you read it all at once, what stands out is the first three chapters. They're, they're all about that. They're all about a radical new humanity united in Christ. So I want to take a few moments and look through the lens, through a, a broader lens at the last two verses in the Bible. So we're not going to exactly unpack the last two verses, but I'm going to look at how the last two verses really explain and apply the rest of what Paul's been talking about in his letter. So look down your Bibles, if you will. If you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody beside you. Go to Ephesians 6, verse 23. Paul closes and he says, Peace be to the brothers. Peace be to the brothers. Now, we're doing a lot of flipping, okay? Because we're doing an overview. So go back to chapter, uh, verse 2 of chapter 1. So flip back to verse 2 of chapter 1. I want you to notice some things throughout this letter as we wrap up. Paul wrote there, grace to you and, what's that word? Peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what Paul is doing? Paul is beginning and ending the letter established and grounded in peace. But, but in the midst of the letter, he wants us to see that on our own, we can have no peace with God. But here's one of the central truths of the letter. And we don't have overheads this morning, but you can write this one down. The first point, one of the central truths is that because God has united us in Christ, and they all begin that way, because God has united us in Christ, because God has united us in Christ, we have peace and we give peace. You see that we have peace in the first three chapters and we see that we're to give peace in the last three chapters. In Ephesians 2, we learn that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the devil. We once lived in the passions of our flesh, doing whatever we desired in our flesh, and we were by our own nature, children of wrath, and said, just like the rest of mankind. We heard that we were separated from Christ, alienated from God's people, Israel, strangers to Israel, and God's covenant promise. We had no hope. We were without God in the world. Do you realize that's who you were? Maybe it's who you are this morning. No hope without God in the world, having no peace. So the state of all mankind and all of us is that on our own, we are dead in our sins. We walk following the devil. We live idolatrous lives. We carry out our own desires. We're born children of wrath. And apart from Christ, we have no hope in the world. We live without God. But Paul says, peace be to the brothers. That's because our very identity has changed now. We now can be called brothers and sisters in Christ. So because of that, we have peace. Peace be to the brothers and sisters. Look back in, in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 2. Flip over to chapter 2 for a moment. Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man and place the two so making peace. And then in verse 17, 
He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. People search for peace and on their own in so many places, don't they? Maybe you find yourself tempted to search for peace in so many places other than Christ, other than who you are as brothers and sisters in Christ, your unity in him. You know, I, back in 1980, I was reading, a, not reading back in 1980, but I was reading about back in 1980, about an elderly couple and they were retiring and they were scared of nuclear war. If anybody was alive in the 80s, you remember 1980 was still, the Cold War was at its height and people were frightened that nuclear bombs were gonna go off and that the world was gonna be estimated and, and where do you live? And they had a bunch of movies about that that were crazy. So this old couple, they tried to figure out where would we live, where we go, we're gonna be safe. We'll have peace from nuclear war in the event that everything goes haywire. And so they did a lot of research. They looked for a place to live and, and then they found this great little island like 300 miles from land from anywhere else. It was so small that nobody cared about those little islands. And so they moved there. And so Christmas of 1981, they sent a postcard to all their friends and family um, announcing they'd found the perfect place to live in the Falkland Islands. If you know your history, Four months later, the Falkland Islands were invaded by Argentina trying to exercise sovereignty and Great Britain sent a carrier there and they had war at the back door of this couple's house, literally. The, the lesson there is that there's no peace on this earth apart from God, no matter how far we may look, no matter where we might look or try to find a perfect place to live or make peace on our own. It will always be short-lived. Maybe you're searching for peace and comfort in family or job or relationship or money or, or where you live. There's no peace on our own. It will be short-lived. It won't last. Maybe, maybe you don't have peace this morning. You're not feeling at peace. If you aren't experiencing this peace with God, there could be some reasons. It could be because you're looking in the wrong places for peace that God never intended for us to find peace. You see, the grounds for our peace is that we are united in him. And so that's how Paul says, peace to the brothers. That's the grounds and the standing for peace is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have peace. Why? Because we're united in Christ. Maybe you're still trusting in yourself, living for yourself, and you have no peace. Maybe this morning you are in sin, unrepentant sin, and you are enslaved to an idol of your own making. And you need to repent. Maybe you have not trusted in God and place your faith in him. And so you have this nagging sense that you don't really have peace. No matter how you might try to drown that voice out with alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever. Well, the answer is the same for both. Whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, the answer really is the same. It's to repent, to turn to him, to run to God, be reconciled to him, confess your sins, and turn away from them. That's what repentance means. Trust in the blood of Christ that Paul talks about, and you can know the peace of God. It can be yours. You see, by the blood payment of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, paying for the idolatrous hearts that we have, God we learned in Ephesians, he did away with the requirements of the law against us because Jesus kept the law 
And Jesus paid for our law breaking, so God is no longer hostile with us. Christ Jesus paid the price with his own blood to make us clean, and now we've been brought near to God. So our very identity is found not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus as we are united in him. And here's the good news. For those of us who have been united in Christ Jesus, peace. Peace to the brothers and sisters. Peace when you're facing difficulties. Peace when you're facing financial hardships. Peace when you're facing the very opposite of that in all your relationships. Peace when you don't know peace at work. We have peace. We've been given peace because we've been united in Christ Jesus. And that's a peace that is unshakable, that can never be taken away from us. In Philippians, before the command, actually it's the first command, when it says, the Lord is at hand. Therefore, be anxious for nothing. God has made us one with him. He is at hand. He is with us. So therefore, we have peace. Now flip over in in your Bible to chapter four. Because we've been called in peace, in verse one, Paul urges us, he says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Now look at verse three in chapter four. It says, he gives us our motive, and here's our motive. Our motive is because we've been given this bond of peace, because we already have been called to peace, been given the bond of peace, we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So not only have we been given peace, we're called to keep peace that we've been given. Then in, in chapter six, verse 15, flip over there. We do a lot of flipping today. It says we're, we're told to put on the armor of God and specifically the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So because God has united us in Christ, we have peace and we give peace. Now let's go back to the end of the letter again. Go back again to the very end of chapter six. Paul writes, peace be to the brothers and love with faith. Love. Why, why does Paul give that benediction? Peace and love. Well, love is a big part of Paul's letter. He's used the word some 20 times in his letter. And the first time we see love, it's the motive for God choosing us. Now I'll go back to Ephesians 1, verse 4. Go to the very beginning. We're seeing that the, end, the beginning of the letter and the ending of the letter, they mirror each other and they touch on some major themes that we have because of our unity in Christ. So go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, holy and blameless before him, Don't lose these next two words. So God chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. But listen to this. Here's the motive. In love. He chose us in love. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Love was what motivated God because he loved us. He predestined all the saints for adoption as sons in Jesus Christ not according to our own will but according to his will because he loved us. Paul was sure that this was true of them. Why? He, he prays later. He says, I'm sure this is true of you because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. A mark of their unity in love and the fact that they've been united in Christ, they've been given the love of Christ, was that they lived out that 
life of love. And that's what we're called to do as well. And that's how the basis later on in the chapter, and if you remember in chapter 5, you see there it says, walk in love. But these, these aren't commands that are separate from our identity. They're all about we've been united in Christ, and because of that, because we've been given love, we're to live out love. Walk in love. What does that look like? It looks like fleeing sexual immorality. It looks like being careful with how you use your time, but being wise. And, and walking in love, it also continues on in chapter 6. It looks like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a way that you love each other. But it's not because it's just a good calling. It's because out of reverence for Christ, you've been united with Christ. He's loved you. The faith in Jesus and love for each other was assurance that they had been chosen by God and adopted into his family because of this Paul refers to their love as incorruptible. It's the love of Christ that's incorruptible. Because he's given us his love and we're in him, our love for Christ is incorruptible too. And then we see that Paul is showing us that because God has united us through love, we show his love in, in, in Ephesians 2.4, the motive for God's mercy with his love. And it says in Ephesians 2.4, flip over there for a moment. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Do you know that God loved you specifically, personally, so greatly that he called you? You're here because God loves you. That he enables you to respond. If you have a desire in your heart that you want to love God even though you know you do it imperfectly and you know you stink at it sometimes. It's because God loved you with a great love and he chose you in love. He predestined you in love. You can have assurance no matter how you might feel, how unworthy you might feel, you can have assurance that because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. There's no way you could desire Jesus unless you've been made alive. And that, even if you don't feel it, take up that shield of faith. That's why he says, in love with faith, because it takes faith to daily trust that God loves me, not because of what I've done, because he chose me in him from before the foundation of the earth. God loves me. He made me alive in the mere fact that I want to worship him, want to live for him, that, I've, that I want to trust in him. That is evidence that he loves me personally and specifically. So take up faith in love. And then look in Ephesians three seventeen. It says, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength. So being rooted and grounded in love is, is the source of our strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See that Christ Jesus offered himself for you in love and that God is calling you in love. By faith, lay hold of his love for you. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. Now look at chapter four. Paul instructs the reader that because of our calling we're to bear with one another in love. 
So see what Paul is doing constantly in the letter to the Ephesians. Because of our unity in Christ, because he's given us peace, because he's reconciled us with him, because he has loved us. He's even given us the gift of faith. That's none of ourselves, not of works. Look in chapter four. Paul instructs the reader that because of our calling and love, he says we're to bear with one another in love, to speak the truth in love, to build up the body in love. You see, it's out of our union with him and assurance that he loves us that we can then confidently go and love others as his love strengthens us to go and do that. In chapter five, it talks about being imitators of him in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That is our motivation, not because others deserve his love or deserve our love. We didn't deserve God's love. So because God's chosen us and pursued us, we're to imitate God as his children and walk in love. And he talks about not engaging in sexual immorality or covetousness and love each other by not engaging in filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. Think about the effect of your words on the people. We're to give grace to those who hear. Why? Because it's a way that we love people through our words. Because God has spoken loving words to us. Paul's benediction is that readers would have love with faith and the faith that God has given us is the shield that we need to take up as we fight the evil one with it and quench his fiery darts. Faith in the love of God for us. Faith in who God has called us to be. Faith in our union with Christ. And then look in Ephesians 6.24. He says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The first word of the letter, go back to chapter one. Go back to chapter one and look in verse two. The first word of the letter after Paul said who he was and who he was writing to was grace. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how he ends. You see, grace really frames the entire letter. It's by God's grace that we've been united to him. Let's never go far from the grace of God. Let's never pull away from the grace of God. So the third and final point that really we want to see in this letter as we wrap up and as we try to apply this whole letter to our lives, it's because God has united us in Christ, because God has united us in Christ by grace, we give grace. Because God has united us in Christ by grace, we give grace. Chapter one, Paul wrote that God chose us and predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will. And then look at verse six of chapter one. It says that he did this. He chose us, he predestined us to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness for our trespasses according to the riches of what? His grace, which he lavished upon us. Do you get that? Do you understand that you are a recipient of his undeserved grace? And that is where we stand in confidence in our union with him. Not in confidence in our own ability to even hold on to him. It's in his grace that we can stand in our union with him. And then in chapter 2, Four, look at verse four, beginning of verse four, then we're gonna skip to verses five to eight. Look at verse two, it says, but God, 
Skip down. Made us alive together with Christ. By what? By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. For we are his workmanship. Look in verse 10. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them The Christian life is not a life of reliance on works. Yes, the last three chapters are all about living out the Christian life, and there's a lot of commandments there. But we're never, ever to try to carry out those commandments apart from the grace of God, apart from resting and trusting in in the grace of God. Because we've been united in Christ by grace and given gifts of His grace, each one of us is to do our part he talks about in the letter, and use our grace gifts. Use the gifts of grace that we've been given. God has given each one of us grace gifts to build up the body in love. At the end of chapter four, flip over to chapter four for a moment. In Ephesians four twenty nine, it says, let no corrupting talk, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Why? That it might give Grace to all those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you in verse 31. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you because you've received his grace. We're to be givers of his grace. Because God has united us in Christ by grace, we give grace. Let that be a mark of us as a church. May we never fail to be amazed that God gave us who were dead. New life by his grace. That he gave us the same status as his son by grace. Not only not expecting we could, that we would ever earn it, but saying you will never earn it. You never have to. I'm giving you my grace. When you deserve the opposite. That's, uh, there's a book called Disciplines of, of Grace. If you've not read that book yet, I think it's on the book table. If it's not, um, let us know. We'll order it for you. But it's called Disciplines of Grace. It's a, it's a book by Jerry Bridges. And in that book, there is a picture, an illustration that he shares of, he goes to the doctor's office and he sees this picture and there's a very odd kind of painting on the wall and there's a statue and halfway up it's just stone and then from, from the torso up it, it, it's, it's taken the shape of a man and then this, this man has a hammer and a chisel and he's chiseling himself out of the rock and, and Jerry was using that illustration to say you know that's often how we look at ourselves as if we are the ones who make ourselves. Paul said to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It began in grace. Why do you try to continue it without grace? Paul began his letter, grace to you through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he's ending. He wants us to live united in Christ, aware of the grace of God, aware that we do not chisel ourselves out of stone. No, God took our stony hearts and made us alive completely when we were dead in sins. 
Maybe you're not aware of the grace of God. This could be because you're still hanging on to trusting in yourself and you need to let go of all that trust in yourself. Let it go. Rely on his grace alone. Maybe you lack joy and strength in the Christian life. It could be because you're trusting in your own merit and your own ability to be good enough. We need to embrace the grace of God, acknowledge we're never gonna be good enough, but we never have to be. He was good enough. He was better than good enough. And by faith, we must, we can lay hold of God's grace and even trusting him to do that. Because God has united us in Christ by grace, we give his grace. The Apostle Paul, he, he wrote this letter to encourage the church to teach the church about who they are in Christ. God has made the church a new humanity, united in Christ. Paul's first words were of grace, his last words were of grace. It's all by grace. We didn't deserve to be reconciled with God in Christ. I want you to think about that. Listen, we we are coming out of, I believe, a period and a season of weariness as a church. We've been through a lot in the last two years, a lot of changes, a lot of things transpired in the church. Not not bad things, they're all good changes, but you know, the effect of those things and the effect of, you know, when we place our faith, our hope in maybe an organization and we say, you know, this is the church, I finally found it, these guys are doing it right, this is awesome. And then you find out that they're human just like the rest of us, then you say, oh, well, I'm not so excited anymore. We can lose sight of what we're supposed to be really excited about the most our identity in Christ it's not who what group we're a part of or not a part of it's it's not what badge we wear what earthly badge we wear it's that we have been united in Christ concern for us as a church that we not let other things rob our joy in who we are in Christ You see, the effect of these truths, the fact of being united in Christ, it's meant to give us so much joy and hope and believing. And we've been united in Christ. Do you get that? We've been made one in him and nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can take away the peace that we have with God. We should be rejoicing over that. Nothing can take away the love that he's had for us or separate us from his love. Neither trials, nothing, no height, no depth, no circumstances. Even when we feel like we're sheep being led to slaughter all day long, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been given undeserved grace. That should cause us to worship. That should, this is meant to be the inspiration for the Christian life. Church, this needs to be where we're grounded in our identity in Christ Jesus and then living out that unity and carrying that out. And so if you don't find yourself passionate about those things, let me encourage you to have a little heart check by where your hope is, where your identity is, where your joy is. Are, are you, where are you looking for peace? Are you aware that the God of the universe has adopted you in love? that he looked down through the ages before time began and he says, I want you. Not because you've done anything, but because I love you. And I'm gonna make you alive by my grace. Don't misread the last three chapters. They're command heavy, but they're all in light 
of living out the unity that God has given us in Christ as this radical new humanity. And they're only possible as we stay grounded in who we are in our unity with Christ. God wants us to understand these things. Why? So he will enable us to grow and be strengthened to live in him. We've been united in in God by his grace and we live out our unity by trusting in and relying in his grace all the way. Ask the band to come up. Matt, pick whatever song you would like (laughs) and let's pray. Father, thank you for your your words. I pray that you would breathe hope, joy, life, encouragement to our hearts. May we grasp what is the height and breadth and depth of the love that you have loved us with. May we see your glorious grace. May we experience the fact that we have peace with you despite everything else, God, and may we worship you in light of that, that we are united in you and nothing can take away our unity in you. In your name we pray, amen. Please stand and let's worship.